I am Jolene Fisher, your host. Every episode of the No Bad Day Show will give you a view into the life of another woman. She'll share her, her story, her triumphs, her struggles, and the lessons she's learned along the way. And my goal as your host is to bring topics to you that are relevant and encouraging because I want you to be inspired to be the hero of your own story. And this is why I introduce you to brave women doing hard things and they are living out the meaning of the no bad days motto in their own lives and their own perspectives. And so today I want to introduce you to Amber Swain. Amber is the director of the Spokane area, Spokane Angels. It's a nonprofit that provides relationship, mentorship, and intentional giving to children in foster care and to their caretakers. She felt called to do this work after her experience teaching and being a foster parent herself. And she is also a mom to a 19 month old little girl and three recently adopted boys. So I'm excited to hear more about that story for sure. Amber, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm so grateful to be here. Yes, we're so grateful that you're here to share your story because it is an amazing story and what you've done, taking something from nothing to a nonprofit organization is a really hard thing to do. And I've, I know I've been there before helping a nonprofit get their status and it's not easy. <laughs> and then yeah. once you do that, getting going with it and actually making it into something really meaningful and you're affecting a lot of people's lives. So let's talk about your background for a minute. Just tell us where you're from. Let's get to know you and, and let the audience get to know you a little bit. Okay. Um, well, I grew up in Newport, Washington, which is about an hour north of Spokane. My dad was a um, family physician there, so we moved up here when he became a doctor, finished his residency in Spokane, and I was in sixth grade. Um, so small town. I grew up at a small high school. We had about 90 kids in our class. Um, I met my husband here in Newport, and so we grew up together. We actually met in sixth grade. Um, and started dating at the end of eighth grade. So we've been together for a very long time. Um, and then I played sports growing up. Sports were a big part of my life. I did a lot of volunteer work as well. I was a mentor, um, big brothers, big sisters for kids at the elementary school and um, have three little sisters. And so I was the oldest of four girls growing up. Um, and we were very involved with sports and the community. Um, once I graduated high school, I went to Western Washington University in Bellingham, and I uh, always thought I was going to be a doctor like my dad, because I knew I wanted to help people, um, and that was just the way I knew how to do it at that time, and so I went to school and started to do that. My freshman year of college, my grandpa, <clears throat> I'm giving you the long version of my <laughs> growing up times. Okay. Um, my freshman year of college, my grandpa was very sick. My grandma had died my senior year and we were very close to them. And so I actually moved home uh, for the end of his life for one semester. And that um, just played a big role in my life. I realized I, I lived with him while he and was kind of his caretaker. And I just loved that role. I loved caring for him and building that relationship with him at the end of his life. And so um, I, I kind of continued on. He passed away uh, at the end of that. And I was not wanting to go back to school. I was kind of just at a point where I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was pretty heartbroken from that. 
Western was really far away. I hadn't made a lot of friends. I was just really struggling um, with the transition. And so I actually volunteered in Haiti for three months um, wow. after the earthquake of 2010. Yeah. And it was an incredible experience. It was my first, well, it really, really gave me a good look into nonprofit work. Um, we did a lot of like work with schools and painting and a lots of different service type projects, but just my experience being there was the first time I really fell in love with kids and working with kids, realized I really love kids. Um, and it just was a life, life changing experience, as you can imagine. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So after that, I came home, still didn't really know what to do. Um, Daniel, my husband, was a wrestler and he was wrestling up uh, near Vancouver, Canada. And so I went up and went to school there for a little bit. And then um, we both moved to Spokane and I finished off my degree at Eastern. So that's, um, we, it was such a transformative set of years and such a journey of not knowing where I was going, but just going. Um, when I graduated from Eastern, I applied for a job at World Relief, which is a nonprofit. Uh, they support refugees and resettling refugees in Spokane. And I just thought, like, this is perfect for me. It had to do with nonprofit work. It was a job, a good job. It um, had that, that third world part to it because I loved different cultures and that part of it. And I didn't get the job. And I just was devastated and was like, what? Like, that was what I was supposed to do with my life. How did I not get the job? And it led me to go back to school to get my master's in teaching. So I went and I got my master's in teaching at Whitworth and started teaching third grade. Um, and that is where I met my now oldest child, who we adopted. And, so and cool. it's really who inspired us to start fostering. Um, so I just think it's such a funny story because at the time I, I was just like, no, this is, I was supposed to work at World Relief. I love that population. And I just think it's such a funny uh, road that led me to where we're at today. So God has such amazing plans for us. <laughs> and we can't see the bigger picture until we're, far removed from it and can look back and say, okay, I see the writing on the wall now, even in our, in the midst of our disappointment, we have to yeah. have faith that it is for a reason and we can't. Yeah. See That's awesome. Yeah. And that is truly what I've learned now at this point in my life, just looking back how everything just kind of leads to the next thing. And it's just amazing, especially when you get to a point where, you know, we were, we're doing what we love and life just kind of feels like it's come together, which is just such a cool thing to feel. Absolutely. Yeah. You're yeah. just being faithful to that walk and just putting one foot yeah. in front of the other, take it day at a time and say, what's next? Okay. What do you have for me? And, and then yeah. going and doing that. I love that you served in Haiti and right after the earthquake that had to have changed your life. And I was going to ask you the question, what was one of the most pivotal things that have changed your life. Would you say that was one of them or the okay. one thing? Yeah, I would say that whole time period of my grandpa caregiving for him and then going to Haiti and realizing that my passion was with kids and um, 
and changing. When I was in Haiti, I really realized that I didn't just want to help kids. I wanted to change the trajectory of their life. And that's kind of where I realized the difference. I didn't want to really be a doctor at that point anymore because not that that's that absolutely can, but I wanted to just kind of have more of an influence um, than doing that kind of work. So it was absolutely life-changing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. At that time, did you think I want to foster at, at some point or I want to adopt or did that not come down? I thought I wanted to adopt. I for sure was thinking I want to adopt from Haiti. Um, but I was young. I was 19. So it's, that was not in the cards anytime soon. And adoption from Haiti is a whole nother. It's not easy. It's not uh, an easy process. And it's not done very often. So right. I knew those things. Um, but it's funny. I didn't ever think about foster care um, and, and even in high school, I was very involved. I had friends that um, my family would take in. So I was still involved with kids who came from hard places, but I didn't even, it didn't even cross my husband and I mind until that first year of teaching when Aries was in my class. And um, I knew what his home, he was still at home when he was in my class. He wasn't in foster care and it drove me crazy. So he was a third grader. He was in third grade, yeah, okay. and I would go home to my husband, and it was my first year of teaching, so I just invested, and I didn't have kids. I invested everything into those kids. Um, I stayed long nights, and I just loved them like they were my own kids, and uh, so much so, though, that I, like, cried many nights over what I know he was dealing with at home, and I, I just struggled. I struggled a lot just, like, leaving it be. I've never been a person to just say – it is what it is. I want to change it. <laughs> and so I really struggled with that. And that's what started us to, to look into becoming foster parents because we knew that there was a risk he'd be coming into the system at some point. Um, and just thinking about that more, realized that that's the path we wanted to go. And so, so if he were to come into the system, what would have been the odds that you could get him to live with you guys? Well, when I was a teacher, it would have been more complicated because that's hard. Because if he was in my home, he'd probably not be in my class anymore. So that would have been trickier. Um, but there are not enough foster parents out there. And so if we were not licensed, suitable, you can become a suitable other foster parent um, and then look into getting licensed because there's just not enough foster homes out there. So a lot of kids who come into the system, especially when they're older, especially when they have some behavior problems, um, a lot of kids end up going to Sally's house, which is an emergency shelter or, you know, emergency shelters until a foster home can be found. So they're always open to suitable other placements. Um, but we didn't, we didn't come across that. He came into foster care the following year. So he wasn't in my class anymore. Okay. And so yeah. he was able to be placed with you guys at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I was involved with a lot of that process because I, um, stayed in touch with him uh, after he was in my class. My husband became his big brother, which was great. It was wonderful, but it also exposed us to being in a situation where we had to report things that were being said and were being done. Um, so we were very just kind of involved with seeing it firsthand, hearing it firsthand, and having to be the person who was making those phone calls. And that's really kind of a yucky part of foster care because those were not like, it's not an easy thing. So even though, you know, it's, even though I was mad 
about his situation. It didn't, you know, I wanted things to change for him. When you make that phone call, you know that there's a risk that a family is being broken up. And, and so it's, it was just a really hard thing. It was a really hard thing to be a part of. Right. And at this point you were probably falling in love with him. Yeah. And yeah, you know, I just, I like totally had a a great, he's such a relationship kid. I totally connected with him. I could see he's very, very smart, incredibly bright and resilient. He kind of has that um, personality where he, he definitely acted out because of things at home, but you could tell he had it in him to say, well, I'm not going to be like that because that's just not me. Um, and I could see that in him and just wanted so badly for that to be his potential in the future. So we became foster parents that following August. So the year after he was in my class and we took in two brothers, um, that are actually at Sally's house. So then they came to live with us and they were seven and nine at the time. And then, so they came in August. They're sweet, sweet kids. We love them dearly still. And we still talk to them occasionally. Um, And then in October, my husband and I found out we were pregnant with our baby girl. (laughs) And then in January, January 3rd of 2018, um, my oldest Aries and his brother came into foster care. So then we had four boys. Oh. Seven and nine. Both of them. So two brothers set, same age, seven and nine. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was pregnant. Oh, you're a saint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a time where we knew it was crazy. We knew it, but there was no way we weren't going to take them in. <laughs> right. <laughs> How long so, did the first set of boys live with you? They, so they stayed with us um, until my daughter was born. So the two sibling sets really just kind of got to the point where, and you know, at this point in both of their cases, there was parent visits and there was therapy and it was at the beginning. So there was lots of adjusting to rules <laughs> and um, it was very much just a hard time for them. And so we had one sibling group who the first two brothers who really dealt with it and kind of becoming um, victim mentality, like very emotional, crying easily. Then we had my other two brothers who, Aries and um, Luke, who just get mean. They get mean and they're going to attack. And so it just became not good. Not good. And we just knew something had to change. Um, And the the other two brothers had other siblings. They had three other siblings in a different home in Tri-City, so we were hoping they could go and stay with them. Um, the uh, Aries' younger brother, Luke, he just had some attachment problems where I knew that if he left, that there might not be any recovery um, for him to attach to anybody ever again. And so it was a really hard decision to make, a really, really hard decision to make, um, and very sad but we just decided that we could not have four boys and a baby <laughs> in our home anymore. Um, so when Ella was born, the two other brothers moved. Okay. To a so different you kept Aries and Luke at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. And then, um, so then it was just us three for a while. And then in November of 2018, so about a year ago, we got a phone call at seven thirty in the morning 
and I was on my because I was a teacher, so I was on my way to school, and uh, it was their caseworker, our boys' caseworker, saying, "I know that you're not taking more kids, but I have this six-year-old who just turned six. Um, we could only take six and up at that time." Yeah. And so, so he's six. Uh, he just turned six. He's been in six foster homes this year. Please, we please just consider him because I don't have, I don't know where else he's gonna go. And oh, he breaks my heart. Yeah, and he was legally free at that time, which means parents' rights have been terminated, he is adoptable. Um, and so knowing that, that, that just makes foster care a lot easier. It's not a good thing, but we knew there wouldn't be visits. There wouldn't be all these demands that add a lot of trauma to these kids and make foster care really hard. And so um, I don't know what made us say yes. I think just the fact that, again, I, I just thought to myself, like I knew people were going to be like, Amber, you're crazy. What are you doing? No. Um, because my two other boys, they had some pretty big behaviors. And um, I just thought to myself, I mean, he doesn't have a choice in this. You know, I have a choice to say no, but this six-year-old, he doesn't want to move, but he doesn't get to say no. And so I get, we're, we're at least going to try. We're at least going to say yes and see how it goes. And so he hasn't left and we adopted him. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so amazing. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. It's been a crazy two and a half years, but it's just, again, kind of looking back like, wow, how everything works out. We didn't go into foster care to adopt at all. Um, it just kind of works that way. <laughs> you were meant to be their mom. I mean, yeah. that's, that's absolutely the truth. And Yep. God put them right in your path for that very reason. Yeah. And so yeah. when did you start Spokane Angels? So summer of 2018, I heard about it on a podcast. I heard about National Angels on the Rachel Hollis podcast. Okay. Our founder, Susan Ramirez, was on it. And um, I just was listening to it. I've, I've always wanted to be a part of nonprofit work. I just haven't known how to do it exactly. I've always been a person that's like, no, I need a set job. Like when you graduate, you're going to do this like a doctor or a teacher <laughs> and nonprofit work. I didn't know how to do that really. And so, um, when I heard about this podcast, well, and also, you know, going to Haiti, I, I tried to start things there. Like we sponsored a few kids for a little while, but starting a nonprofit, as you know, is a big, scary task. Um, and I haven't known how to go about it. And so this podcast explained how national angels, was creating it so that you could reach out to them and they train you on how to become a chapter. So you raise money, um, but then they totally equip you to become a chapter in your area. I see. And so, yeah, when I heard about it, I just thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And it was all about relationship. Um, and that is, I think, with my experience in foster care. So my, my Luke, my 10-year-old, has the one who had some pretty big attachments. He really had the most trauma from his background with his mom and attachment wise. And I just saw, you know, teachers used to say that, um, or people in his life would say his, his, his future is scary. And he was seven at the time. His future is really scary. He's probably going to end up in prison. And I just saw him totally transform when he came to live with us. Um, and, and just saw the kid inside of him, not that hard shell that was there when he was at school, but the true kid who's inside of him, he's soft, he's empathetic. He's like my sweetest love bug child. Mm -hmm. And 
the thought of um, him not blossoming into the kid who he was supposed to be just kills me. And so I think there are so many kids out there, especially in foster care, who harden and don't get to show their true potential. And I think it's relationship that changed that. I think it's connecting with people who you feel safe with. And um, it breaks my heart to know that like my Luke could have ended up in the system his whole entire life, not ever breaking that and connecting with people. So learning that Spokane Angels or National Angels was about relationship um, really made me made me think, okay, well, it's not an option. I have to bring this here to Spokane because it's too important. Absolutely. So, so yeah. you, you started this, you said in August, right? Of 28. So in, I put a board together in September of 2018. So I listened to it at the podcast in July. I was going on vacation. So I waited a few weeks to talk with the founder, had some phone calls and then put a board together by September and we raised money. Um, we had to raise $15,000 to get our website up and insurance and to pay for the training that they do down in Austin and all this stuff. Um, and we were up and running by January of this year. So January of 2019. Ah, that's so great. So yeah. you're yeah. having your one year anniversary birthday party here coming up. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're just having a celebration. We want to celebrate everybody who has kind of joined us in this community of supporting our kids in foster care, um, all the donors and volunteers, and just our whole community who has supported us in this last year. It's on January 24th at 7 p.m. at the McGinnity Room, um, which is beautiful. I went there to visit, and it was the only time I've been there, and it's really gorgeous. It is so gorgeous. I'm going to a wedding there in February. <laughs> It is so gorgeous. Yeah, it really is. So we're just having kind of a birthday party. It's just going to be dessert and um, the it's free. So it's just kind of to bring the community together to celebrate the impact we made in our first year and where we're going in the future. I want to learn more about just everything about foster care here in a sec. But um, first of all, yeah. tell me how someone like me could get involved because I uh, the people who are watching, we do have several people watching, by the way. Hello, everybody. Um, to say, how can people like us, get, anyone, just get involved that says, this sounds like an amazing thing. Tell us a little yeah. bit more about the various things you can get involved with within Spokane Angels. Yeah, absolutely. So I think what's really cool about our organization is that we provide a way for people to influence and get involved with kids in foster care without becoming a foster parent, because we know that not everybody's called to foster or adopt, and that's a big, big commitment, but this allows everybody to play a role in the foster community. So both of our programs, our Lovebox program and our Dare to Dream program are volunteer-based. So Lovebox program, we match volunteers in the community with the whole foster family. And the goal of this program is to um, support that home, support everybody in that home so that the child in foster care is better supported. And then hopefully they don't have to move from that foster home. So we want to reduce the chances that they're going to move. And we want the foster parents to succeed in their role and, and feel equipped and supported. Um, because a lot of times that's one of the main reasons that foster parents quit um, is because they just don't feel supported enough. And so our Love Box leaders reach out to them every month and they just say, hey, what do you need this month? How, how can we support you? And they provide a love box, just a cardboard box, 
of things that they need that month at a love box meetup. So they meet up with the family once a month. They bring this cardboard box full of whatever it may be. We have families who are more financially needy, foster families. And so that might look like a full load of groceries for the month. Um, other times it looks like a gift card for the parents to have a date night and babysitting. But what it does is it really provides the foundation of building a relationship um, between the volunteers, the love box leaders and the families. So it's just building a relationship so that support can come in a variety of ways. Um, it could be babysitting or it could be building a relationship with one of the children so that they can take them to go do some activities. Um, <clears throat> if we have a, a aggressive kiddo who's punching holes in the wall, well then maybe that ball or that volunteer could build a relationship with that child and start taking them to a karate class every week and give the parents a break, get some energy out um, so that everybody feels supported. So that's really a great way um, for, for community members to get involved with supporting foster families, but without becoming a foster parent. The other great thing about um, Love Box program is that it can be a group. So you could put together a Love Box group, so a church group or a group of friends, teachers, whatever it may be, and the group financially supports the box every month. But then one to two leaders are the ones that maintain that relationship with the family. Um, so that's our Love Box program. And then our Dare to Dream program is meeting with a youth. It's a mentor program twice a month. So every other week, the mentor, volunteer mentor, meets up with the youth in foster care between the ages of 12 and 21. Um, <clears throat> and they just build that relationship because, again, we're all about just providing consistent, healthy relationships for these kids in foster care. Um, but then once that relationship is built, they work on 10 different milestones that help prepare them for life after foster care. So things like building a resume or um, getting a job, healthy relationships, what does, um, what does exercise look like, meal prep, you know, all those things, getting a driver's license is a big one. So all those things that can create hardship and barriers for them as the older they get, um, we want to help equip them and walk alongside them while they do that. So those are our two main volunteer opportunities and great ways to get involved with kids in foster care. Okay. Um, we're also just always looking for partners to partner with. Um, we are looking for anybody that would like to be involved with our birthday party at the end of the month, whether it's financially or, um, or donating desserts or, you know, anything like that. We are always looking for partners to partner with, um, monthly donors. So there's lots of ways to get involved. We really believe that it takes a community to, to support our children in foster care and that we all aren't called to foster or adopt, but we all can play a role in the life of a child in foster care. So. Awesome. So yeah. this, this gets syndicated out on a podcast all over the country and on YouTube and a lot of people watching right now aren't necessarily living in Spokane. Is there a way to get involved with the angels nationally? And if somebody were really passionate about this to start their own yeah. chapter, how does that yeah, work? Yeah. So if you go to nationalangels.org, mm -hmm. on there will be all of that information. It will list the 20, about 20 different chapters that we have right now going up around the nation. Um, there might be one near you, which would be really cool. And, and all that information is on there. Oh, that's great. But only 20 yeah. nationally. Yeah. yeah. We, 
we were the, I think, third group to get going. So it's, it's pretty cool. It's just been within the last two years. Okay. It's very new, but it's been very exciting to see. Yeah, what a neat concept to have a franchise nonprofit type situation because yeah. then you get help from the parent company, but then you also get to do right. your own thing and put your own spin on things, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. Austin Angels is our founding chapter. And so they're, they've been going for 10 years now. And I think they, they just saw the impact and realized, okay, well, this needs to be nationwide because there's about 438,000 children in foster care nationwide. And so, and you know, um, can, maybe I'll go into a little bit about foster care right yeah, now. Please. Um, so we know that nationally about 50% of our homeless population spent time in foster care and 80% of our prison population spent time in foster care. So this is a societal issue that we're trying to break. Um, we know a lot of times that our kids in foster care grow up to have kids in foster care. So they grow up to have kids in foster care, they grow up to be in prison, they grow up to be homeless. So it's, it's the society here that we're trying to break that cycle so that kids can grow up and see, um, <clears throat> so they can thrive and not just survive in the world. Wow. I'm writing all this down because it's just uh, facts that I won't remember later. So I, I'm going to type this up and put it in the description later because yeah. so you're saying if you were in foster care any given time that you're 50% chance of being homeless or that's what the statistics are showing right now and 80%. 80% of the prison population spent time in foster care and only 50% graduate from high school and only 3% go on to college. So we just know these statistics for the kids who grow up in the system um, and then age out of the system, they're just not good. Our second Dare to Dream uh, match that we made in Spokane back in June, we matched him with a mentor and he was homeless two weeks after aging out. So he was 21 um, in foster care. You can choose to stay in the system in extended foster care. At 18, you can choose if you wanna stay in the system until you're 21. Um, so he stayed in a group home until he was 21, but at 21, he had to move out. He didn't have a choice. And so he went to live with a sister, but then that didn't work out. And he ended up on the streets two weeks after his 21st birthday. And so, and he had a housing voucher. He just couldn't find housing. And I think one of the main problems with our system, and this is why we truly believe that we can't control the system. We that's out of our hands. What we can do is provide consistent adults for these kids to walk alongside them to do life with them because he had support from the state and he had, he has a great attorney, but she's limited in the time she can give him and what she can do with him. Um, and so what he was missing was someone to do those things with him, you know, like any 21 year old would need to find housing or to find, you know, any healthy functioning 18 year old, who has parental support. I mean, they lean on them so, so much. I know I did. And so for these kids who grow up with this trauma, grow up with these mental health issues because they never felt like they belonged or were loved. And then for them to age out and be expected to function on their own, it's just no wonder that once they end up homeless or in prison because we're not setting them up for success. Absolutely. Um, when our son came to us and yeah. he was in high school and he was a uh, junior, junior standing in high school. Um, he had a 0 0.07 GPA and 
you know, the credits needed to get to college, which was his ultimate goal, were not there. And yeah. it took us side by side, every step yeah. of the way for that year and a half or 21 months that he lived with us to really get him across the finish line. And he wanted it badly and did all the work, but yeah. it still took a lot of encouragement and support and love and you can do this. And yeah, <laughs> you can't do this stuff on your own. I, you really can't. I mean, well, and that's what, Go ahead. that's what breaks my heart is because I think I, I don't like thinking about the kids out there who had, they just had one person by their side their story would be completely different. And that just kills me to think about. And it's, it's not fair. Every single child deserves that, whether you're six or whether you're 18. Because I don't think that ever goes away. I don't think that desire for love and belonging and connection with someone who you know is never going anywhere, no matter how bad you act, um, that doesn't ever go away. No. No. Yeah. When, when Roderick first moved in, I wasn't thinking it was going to be forever because I didn't know him. He moved in and yeah. it was under a chins order. So child yeah. in need of services order. And we were just to get him to college. At, that was my first experience in week one. <laughs> After week one, yeah. it was like, oh no, I'm all in. <laughs> this is, there's no <laughs> way he's going to college and I'm not going to like be there for him mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter that they make it to that next step. They're going to keep needing a parent or a mentor yeah. or somebody who cares. Yeah. Somebody that can send them birthday cards to mm -hmm. um, Christmas. I mean, where are you going to go at Thanksgiving and Christmas? It's like yeah. all those things that we take for granted that these kids don't have access to if they don't have somebody that they can call mm -hmm. as a family or um, yeah. Well, and you know, I think a lot of the adults now who you hear came from hard, tough times, they, they usually always contribute their success or attribute their success to a person, like a coach or a mentor. Mm -hmm. And so that's, or a teacher, that's all we're doing here is we're just making it more intentional. We're just making sure that that relationship happens and not leaving it up to situations. Right. Um, that's really what our programs are about. It's just making sure every single child has a healthy adult in their life that's always there whether that's by supporting the foster parents so that they can be that person um, or by being that person ourselves yeah and, and you never know as these kids get older and they've experienced life they could be the people that give back in the end too they've learned a lot mm -hmm. they've been through the hardships and they may be the best mentors if we can yeah. get them to that point where they are thriving and doing well in society and, and loving life and yeah. happy and joyful and then they can be the ones that reach down and, and pick those kids up too. So it, it's just a trip, a, a ripple effect that we can create with just one mentor in a life that can then yeah. turn into that next mentor and so on Absolutely. and so forth. Absolutely. So we have quite a few people watching. If, if uh, you guys are watching and you have questions as we're going along, I'm looking down at my phone, seeing who's watching, but if you guys have questions for Amber, please ask. She's uh, available right now live in the No Bad Days group and we can answer these questions here. If you listen to this recording later and you want to ask questions, please do so in the comments section and she will get back to you. She is in the group, by the way, so you can uh, reach out to her that way through Facebook if you're on Facebook. If you're watching this through YouTube or podcasts later, Amber, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so... Um you can find us on Facebook at Spokane Angels or on Instagram at Spokane Angels Nonprofit. 
Um, you can always contact me through either of those, but as well as just amber.swain at spokaneangels.org. Um, that's really all those different ways you can contact us. My phone number is also listed on the website as well. So lots of ways to get involved. Um, we are just now getting a new office come January 1st, so two days, which is very exciting. So we'll also have a location where you can get a hold of us there. So great. Yeah. So where is your office located? Did you say? Right. Kind of north of downtown, right by the courthouse. Okay. Um, Broadway. In the Broadway building. Mm -hmm. Right there. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. And so give us a little update on how your family's doing. You have a 19-month-old <laughs> daughter and you have three yeah. now adopted boys. So give us yeah. an update. How's everyone doing? Well, so we adopted our boys on Ad National Adoption Day, um, oh. November 22nd. Yeah. <laughs> we were on the news. So I think you can still find it. There, it kind of talks about our whole story, but it also gives a nice preview of what the courtroom looked like. <laughs> so I've said that our boys have some behavior problems, and <coughs> so things like that. Public, we don't going into public can sometimes be a challenge because they just are easily excited, which can then lead to dysregulation um, and not being able to control their body. And so we knew that that day was gonna be exciting, but we had like lots of banging on the, the table. They loved the microphone. The <laughs> judge just kind of like sat and giggled. Well, I was just like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so it was a really good day. We, we ended um, riding away in a limo, which was very, very cool and exciting for them. Um, but then a few days later, we actually moved back up to Newport, um, where I'm from. My parents live up here, and I think it was just a really cool way to have such a fresh start for them. Uh, they really needed that, and there was a lot of triggers in Spokane, a lot of memories, and so it's just been really, really great. Um, the first week was kind of tough with holidays and just everything. A lot of lot of change for them but they started back at school um, I was homeschooling my Luke my 10 year old and he started back at school and they're all doing great and they're loving their classes um, we live in the country now which means they have room to run which is really good I'm bringing back the nerf guns and allowing them to play with nerf guns now and um, my little daughter she just she just bumps into them and then gets right back up. Like she wrestles them. She goes and tries and tackles them. And so um, it's been really good. Really, really good. Does she give them an opportunity to learn how to be gentle and to love yeah. and to. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they are really great big brothers. Our youngest chase, he's seven. Um, he, he had a hard time with babies. He kind of had some of his trauma history dealt with neglect when babies were born. And so um, he's had a hard time adjusting, but he is adjusting. And every once in a while, he will like let his guard down a little bit and be like, okay, you can give me a hug, Ella, fine. Um, <laughs> but our two older brothers, or two oldest kiddos, they, they just love her to death and they're the best big brothers. Oh, good. So, yeah, it's okay. just so fun. I'm so glad you were able to keep the brothers together. That's, that's yeah. really a cool story in and of itself too, that yeah. they get to grow up together and a well-adjusted family. Mm -hmm. yeah. What are their I dreams and goals? Now they're what, 12 and 10? 
or 12 and 10. Aries is brilliant. Um, sometimes too, like you have to bring him back down to earth a little bit because he knows how brilliant he is. I, he, he right now wants to be an orthodontist because they make lots of money, which <laughs> <laughs> um, he could, he very well could be. So uh, he loves, he's really excited to play basketball. That's going to be starting soon. Um, he's just a smart cookie. He loves just re like he reads a ton. He is very into facts and science. And so I'm sure he's going to be a professor or a doctor of some kind Sunday. Um, Luke, right now, what does he want to be? He's wanted to be a police officer. Um, he he loves sports, but he's very sensitive. So we're getting trying to find that balance. He's very athletic too, um, but he's just a sensitive soul. So I think that'll be good. And then Chaser's our youngest. He is very much an engineer and great at math. Like I, I just see him growing up to be an engineer of some kind because his number sense is incredible. So how old is he now? Um, he's seven. Seven. Okay. He's in first grade. Had him very long, just about a year, right? Yeah, just a year, which is oh. crazy to think about. But he just fit in so well. I think that older brothers were really good for him. Um, all the other homes had younger siblings in them, and so he's just fit in so well. It was a hard adjustment at first very hard um but but they they're adjusting you know it's just a process they're still adjusting <laughs> yeah so I have a question for you what advice would you give to people who feel like they um uh, overwhelmed by the idea of foster care I mean you've kind of touched on it a little bit with being able to get involved in the ways through Spokane Angels. Are there other ways yeah. that people can get involved in their community if they don't have yeah. access to an organization like yours? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, just support the community in whatever way you can give. And and so on, honestly, I always say, if you know foster parents, make them a meal and tell them you're bringing it over on a certain day. Just say, don't make them do any of the work. Say, what's your favorite meal? Okay, I'm bringing it over on Saturday. Um, because all those little things just mean so much. And building that community, um, I think foster parents who do it for a really long time, they're the ones who have built that incredible community around them because you just really can't do it other than that. Um, <clears throat> I would just say whatever your skill is or whatever your ability is, just do that for your community because I think that's how we're going to affect change in our community is with every single person doing whatever they can, no matter how small, um, because if we're all doing small things, then it's going to lead to big things and big change. So awesome. Hmm. I love that. Now you're a busy mom. You work, yeah. you're running Spokane angels. You have three boys and a girl now. I mean, crazy household. How do you take time for yourself to give yourself like some you time. What do you do? Yeah. Um, well, I like baths at night. That's how I decompress. That is my way to decompress, really. Um, my husband's really great. So if I just need to say, okay, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm, I need to go have a break. He's really great about that. Um, <clears throat> I also have just become good at getting up before them in the morning. I was not great about that for a while. And we just all would start off on the wrong foot because they don't wake up very sweetly. <laughs> start off crazy in the morning and wild like boys do. Um, and so I realized that getting up early in the morning, I do some reading, I do some journaling a little bit. 
and, and it really started to really look forward to that time. And then I, it allows me to wake up enough so that when they are up, then I'm ready to go and ready to deal with them. So I've just truly um, learned from both being a teacher and then becoming a foster parent how absolutely essential it is for my cup to be full before because I, I can't be a good parent to them and I, I can't do the things I know I want to do and be the person I want to be if I don't feel good enough myself. And so I've just really realized how important that is the last few years. Awesome. That is, that's rare. I, I, I hear this a lot with women that are very busy. They don't take enough time for themselves. And honestly, yeah. they, if they don't fill their cup, they can't fill others. So I it's so hard. happy to hear you say that. Yeah. <laughs> but it well, doesn't I wasn't say perfect like, at it. Just as much hard. as the kids need mentors and support, we as parents yeah. need those that support structure. You it sounds like you have that with your husband. Your mom and dad are in mm -hmm. town. I was curious mm -hmm. how uh, your extended family felt about you guys doing adoption and foster care. Were they on board from the get go, or did you find? Yeah. They were on board from the get-go. They've always been very supportive. Um, they sometimes have a hard time dealing with my, my kids' behavior because that's just hard, and it's changed the dynamics of get, big get-togethers are harder. Um, but overall, they have been very, very accepting and loving to our boys, and I think that's been really great, too. My parents' place is one of their favorite places to go. Um, they have animals and room and four-wheelers and all that good stuff so they love it yeah um, yeah so <laughs> it's been really good good yeah so now if you could look back on your life when you were a young girl could you ever see yourself doing this or what did you want to be when you grew yeah. up yeah no it's funny because I think that had I thought about it it would absolutely would have made sense that I would have um been become a foster parent and done this I don't, I think for some reason I didn't see it then <laughs> and I, I don't know why that is, but I, I just think everything worked out and, you know, I think I'm not teaching anymore, but had I not become a, a teacher, I went with my Aries and then, so I think it's just so funny how it all worked out. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. so my husband yeah. met our son too. <laughs> yeah. Was you're in those unique situations to meet kids. And I think that's an important thing we need to say to everybody who might be listening to this is that, you know, you gotta look up, you gotta get yourself involved. If you're not in a position to be a coach or a teacher or a mentor, um, get out there in your community and see the need because it's mm -hmm. out there. There's a lot of- Oh, needs. there's so many kids. We have 17 families right now on our, our Love Box wait list. And we have seven kids on our Dare to Dream wait list. And I will say all of them I want to reach. But it's those kids who I know who are 16, 17, 18, where that, that clock is ticking, the time is pressing, um, where I just feel the desire to go out and find those mentors for them. Well, how does the mentorship program work? Do you need to go through a screening process? Yeah, so both volunteer positions you can apply for on our website. You just go to at the top our programs, Love Box or Dare to Dream, and it will say become a mentor or become a, a Love Box leader. Um, and it's a process, so you fill out the application. Uh, we do a background check. There's a training involved for Dare to Dream. There's references as well. Um, so it's a little bit of a process, but just kind of the normal steps that we need to take in order to protect our kids who are going to be interacting with, with these volunteers. So, 
Mm, that's awesome. That's yeah. so exciting that you're doing this. And I didn't even know that this existed till I met you maybe what, nine months mm -hmm. ago at this point. We yeah. met at an event and I heard your story and I was like, ah, a girl after my own heart. And, you, and you've, uh, we have different stories in that regard, but we have a lot in common, parallel yeah. stories. I met my husband when I was in eighth grade too. Really? Oh, yeah. so funny. <laughs> I, I always tell people that and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so sweet. And I'm like, it is, but it was messy. <laughs> we grew up together. It was messy. We were trouble. <laughs> I know. Gosh. Well, yeah. He's my best friend. And when yeah. he told me about Roderick, I just, I had been with him so long. I totally trusted everything he wanted to do. And yeah. he had already offered our home to Roderick before asking me. Really? <laughs> so, it's like, well, he wouldn't do that if he, he wasn't sure that this was yeah. the right yeah. for all of us. And it didn't, yeah. yeah, it didn't take me more than a few minutes to be like, okay, <laughs> let's do yeah. this. Yeah. Daniel, my husband, he kind of grew up with a rough home. Um, he was never in foster care, but he grew up in a rough home. And so it's been just really cool for the way he can relate to the boys mm -hmm. um, and just kind of fully understand where they're coming from. And, and the boys know that too. And so it's just kind of been a cool way, especially our oldest. He's very self, he's very aware of the situation. Um, so it's just kind of a cool way that they relate to each other. Mm -hmm. Do they have access to their biological parents at all? Not at this time. Mm -hmm. We always leave it open because I, so I, I have contact to them. Um, the two oldest boys, their sister still lives in the home that they came from. And we see her occasionally um, as much as we can because we love her dearly. Uh, but it provides a tricky, trickier situation since she's in that same home. Right. Um, so we, I always leave it open to them because, you know, they're at the, they're old enough where I'm not going to stop that. And I want, I just make it sure they know that it wasn't because of a lack of love. It was because they just weren't able to care for them. And that is 100% the truth. Um, right. There's foster care in the history, which is such a typical situation for kids in foster care. And, um, they know, I think they'll just know as they grow up that it's always an option if they feel like it's the right time or if they feel like they need to. But um, we have closed adoptions for both of or all three of them. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think that is so important that later in life too, when the boys grow up and they've moved on with their lives and they're now adults and they've done something with what you've given them and what yeah. they've worked hard for, that they can... Uh, talk to their siblings or anyone who is left in those situations and show that they can break the cycle. That's so important yeah. that it, that people see that it's possible. And yeah, that's one absolutely. of the best things those boys can do is to. Oh, I think it's so important. We are planning. Um, this was an idea brought to us by a community member, which I just think is amazing. We're planning for the end of the year, a event where we hopefully can bring kids who are in foster care who speak at this event for older kids for our dare to dream youth and our teens who are in foster care and who can speak and just give them hope and like just speak hope and resilience into them and show them the, the possibility that this is not the end. This is not the end. I want you, I need you to see past this, that this is a small blip in your life and that life goes on. So I think that's so important. 
You know, I think too, the kids in foster care are the tip of the iceberg of kids that are in need of help and of services. There's a lot of kids that live in homes that are not foster homes, but are in really hard, hard, hard situations. And so do you have any advice for, um, I guess, what we could do or where we can see a need there and help as well? Or you know, I, it's I, a little bit trickier, but... I think you just do what you can. So for the boy's older sister, I just, when I feel, I, I occasionally will just feel like guilty. Like I should be doing more for her. I, and I just think to myself, okay, well just be there for her consistently. Like that's all, that's all you can do. Just remind her. I always tell her I love her. I always call her sweetie and she rolls her eyes at me and acts like she hates it, but I'm just not going to stop. <laughs> Because I don't think she hates it. <laughs> no. And so I think just being that consistent person when you can. Um, I think teachers have a great way of doing that. Coaches. Just just reminding them that they're worthy and loved. And I think becoming, um, when you're in the correct situation, becoming informed. You know, if you're a coach and your player is acting out in a way, being informed that there's probably a reason behind that and, and addressing it in the correct way. I think that can be huge. Um, I think just knowing that you're there and they can come to school and talk to you or wherever, uh, you never know down the road what kind of impact you've had on someone's life. Yeah, my husband has right. a lot of kids that come back and say, as a coach, how, he, how much he transformed their lives, even though he never even knew he did. And I think yeah. that's important for all of us to remember that even the little times we come in contact with people and we have a great interaction with them or we've been able to help them some way, somehow, that mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's just a little, the little things, but then those people may come back to you, like this older girl, uh, when mm -hmm. she's 18 or older and, and has her own life and may want to come into the fold and be around, you never know. Yep. <laughs> we'll turn yep. out. It's just being yep. open and willing. Yeah. And just realizing that they come with a story and we don't know that full story. And so just being kind always. Oh, I yeah. think there's a long ways. Oh, yeah. That is so true. No, just who are we to judge, right? <laughs> when people are going through bad things and not taking things personally, because oftentimes yes. there's a story behind the burst outbursts and what's going on in their lives. You just yep. never know. Absolutely. Yeah. Roger yep. had an opportunity to have lunch with Adam one day long before he moved into our house and Adam was mentoring him and, and he took him back to his house and he ended up being in a detached garage living with a family. And he was, it, it opened my husband's eyes in, in so many ways. It was like, oh, I'm this is where you live. Yeah. I mean, he didn't say that out loud, but just yeah. came home and he told me what he had seen and Anyways, it, it explained a lot about how hard it was for him to come to school every day because no one was holding him accountable to that. And he had, he could do whatever he wanted, you know? And so it's, yeah. it's just, um, kids need that consistency and somebody oh, has, you know, in their lives telling them, do this, do this, do this boundaries, yeah. structure, all those things. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I say being a foster parent, there's a lot of secondary trauma that I've felt like it be, it's become kind of a, a physical reaction when we had to visit you know mom at the end of when they were almost adopted and all these different things that are very traumatic for the kids but then when you fall in love with these children 
it, you go through it as well. And it just made me realize, it truly made me realize with my teaching history, like, okay, these children who come from hard places, who come from screaming parents right before school, who come from, you know, violence, and then come to school. I mean, it's just no wonder they're having such a hard time because no wonder their stomach hurts and they don't feel like they can concentrate on the math, you know? And so it's just been so eye-opening to the reality of some of our kids' worlds that they come from. It's so sad. Amber, we don't have any questions right now, but if there's anything you want to add, I would love to hear any closing thoughts or whatever you think. I maybe think so. I I just will say that we believe at Spokane Angels that every single child deserves one adult in their life who um, knows the color of their eyes and the passions in their heart. And we just truly believe that. And if there are any community members out there who would like to get involved, I'm always open to just chat too, if you don't feel like you're ready. Um, I would love to chat about any way that you can get involved. So thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. I really appreciate your time. I knew you're a busy mom. <laughs> so taking the little bit of slice of your life in the evening, I know it's a lot. So go take that warm bath and, <laughs> 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 and enjoy your, the rest of your evening. And we will uh, see everyone else in the Facebook group. And um, I was told to tell her thank you from one of the audience members listening. So thank you for your time. We really do appreciate you and what you're doing for society is amazing. So yes, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Have a good night. All right. You too. <laughs> Bye.